it was one of the hardest times. It was um, Mike's mom had just passed away, and then the day after her funeral, um, I went in for my biopsy and found out I had cancer. So it was just like this. It was just like, man, you know, what more? This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Battling cancer is never easy for anyone. But imagine being responsible for keeping your family's dairy farm running, producing food, all while battling that awful disease. That's the story that Leanne Cranick shares with us. She and her husband run their third-generation family farm. It's been around for over 100 years near Seattle, uh, near Enumclaw, Washington. She shares her story of battling cancer and tells us so much about what they do on their farm and the values that are so important to them. Very good episode this week, and I had such a good time chatting with Leanne for the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop, by the way. This podcast is documenting my continuing journey to get to know the real people behind the food that we grow here in Washington State. Our sponsors are the Great Washington Shakeout. Their big event is coming up this month. October 21st is the Shakeout event. What is it? It's an earthquake drill. Are you ready for the big one? Are you ready for any type of earthquake? We have them. And in fact, there are smaller earthquakes around Washington State in the Pacific Northwest all the time. Sometimes you feel them, sometimes you don't. Are you prepared if we have a 5.0, a 6.0? Are you prepared for that big one that, you know, for me growing up here in the Pacific Northwest, we've been talking about for years and years, and who knows if or when it it will hit. I, I guess it's more of a win, not an if. The Great Washington Shakeout is a great way to prepare for that shakeout.org slash Washington is where you can go to get more information and be prepared for the big event to drop cover and hold on when we all do it on October 21st, 1021 is the date and 1021 AM is the time. Don't forget it. The great Washington shakeout, shakeout.org slash Washington. Also Mana Insurance Group uh, sponsoring what we do here on the podcast. We certainly appreciate them. Manainsurancegroup.com is the website and I'd love to have you check them out. They do all kinds of things including, you know, the typical insurance stuff, home, life, auto, et cetera, but they have a totally different philosophy about planning ahead and tailoring things to what your family really needs. Also, the Dairy Farmers of Washington supporting the podcast, sharing stories all the time, like Leanne Cranick's, uh, on their website, wadairy.org. And in fact, you know, we're talking with a dairy farmer this week on the podcast. Go to wadairy.org and you can check out their virtual farm tour so you can get more images, videos, conversations of what things really look behind the scenes on a Washington State dairy farm like Leanne's. So why do you do it? Why do you grow food? Why do I grow food? I didn't always grow food, but there's one thing that farmers do that not a lot of people can do is they provide a necessity. Mm. Everybody always needs to eat. And then you tie in that connection with being outside and working with animals and no day is ever the same. And I always tell people that to be a farmer, there's two qualities you need. Number one is patience, and mm-hmm. number two is a sense of humor. So I kind of think <laughs> I fit the ticket on both. Yeah. Um, not saying if you don't have those, you're going to be bad, but boy, it sure makes your day a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. 
So talk about your farm, you guys, dairy farm. Exactly. That's it? You're not, you're not doing other crops or animals or things? Uh, we... Well, we're right now we're at our second farm in Enumclaw, Washington, which is about 35 miles southeast of Seattle, and we're blessed to have Mount Rainier behind me. We have um, our home farm. We have about 1,300 head that we milk between two facilities. They're a quarter mile apart, and we have a lot of grass silage and pasture that we grow for our own feed. Um, but we have a different thing. I call it farming in the urban area. So you have mm. to get a little creative. So um, Mike and I, that's my husband. It's actually his third generation um, farm. His family started it in 1912. But wow. we park a lot of end dump trailers at breweries all around Puget Sound. Mm. And they produce spent grain, which in the beer brewing process, boiling that, boiling the barley and the hops, they take out all the starches to go into the brewing process, but that what's left over looks a lot like oatmeal and it has tons mm. of protein in it. Mm. So it helps them recycle. We bring it home and feed it. And we tall about three to 4 million pounds a month wow. that they would have to put in a landfill. So you, it's not, it's not the traditional form of farming. So you have yeah. to get a little creative. So that's so cool that you're able to capture all of that. Mm-hmm. That probably wouldn't have been possible 20 years ago before this like explosion that we've had of local breweries. Yeah. Right? It's really interesting. Farmers all across the country and the world, for that matter, have been feeding spent grain to their cows mostly for decades, if not over a century. And yeah. I can't think of a brewery that doesn't do that. But the Puget Sound area, you know, you look in the early 2000s, uh, Red Hook, which was the really first well-known craft brewer, started yeah. getting going. And then you had the big ones. Olympia was shutting down. Rainier was shutting down. And that's kind of how we got into the business. It just is kind of by happenstance. A family called um, Dan O'Neill from O'Neill and Sons. His, he's from the Tumwater Olympia area. His family was hauling spent grain for over 100 years to from those big breweries two farmers all over the Puget Sound. Hmm. They shut down. In 2007, corn was just starting to get being used for ethanol. So, Mm, you know, being resourceful, um, we'd always use Dan and his spent grain. And my husband called him up and he said, hey, Dan, do you have any spent grain available? And he said, let me give you a call back. So he called us back the next day and he said, you know, I only have one small brewery, which is Hales Ales in Ballard. And um, occasionally I'll get a can of dry grain and, and a tank of yeast from Alaska Brewing in Juneau. Mm-hmm. How about I just offer you a, a truck and two trailers? And so that's kind of how it all started. And brewers are a lot like farmers. Mm. They gossip a lot. <laughs> are you saying that farmers gossip? Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> and I have to say, you know, I um, I think the I think the men talk a lot more amongst themselves than the ladies do. You oh, know, really? we're too, yeah. And there's <laughs> we, all these stereotypes, right? Here, I know, but it's it, yeah, 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 and and it's not bad. Um, you know, talking about you know what's going on, that's always a good thing. You you can't be stuck on your farm all the time and just yeah. be in your own little bubble. Um, but you know, they started talking and we started knocking on doors and and having that really good service we 
our breweries, sometimes we bring our trucks and, and make sure that they're not backlogged with their spent grain waste. We'll bring our trucks in the snow through traffic, mm. you know, whatever. Because um, they got to keep brewing. They need to keep brewing. Cows got to keep eating. That's right. And then, you know, <laughs> 2007 hit and, and oh boy, the craft beer brewing industry and micro brewing industry exploded yeah. in our area. And right now it's interesting. There's almost two times as many craft breweries in the state of Washington as there are dairies. So it's that how that flipped is just yeah. amazing. Um, but it's always been good to us. We've met a lot of great people doing that and we've learned a lot about different things too. Doing yeah. that. So that's something that we all need to here in the Northwest need to keep in mind when we're drinking our beer mm-hmm. that uh, we're also enjoying this along with the cows. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Although they enjoy the protein and you enjoy the starch. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But no, it's a great relationship. Do the cows like it? They love it. Yeah. And I get a lot of questions too from people. They think, well, do cows get drunk after <laughs> drinking beer? And then that follows in with the whole cow tipping, you know, yeah, mantra. Where, yeah. yeah. And actually, you know, their digestive system, they're a ruminant. So they're, we're monogastric. So we absorb all of that in our, in our digestive system. But cows have this rumen, which is kind of like a big pickle jar. Mm. And so they can actually taste the, take the yeast in beer. And that's a probiotic. So it works mm. the same way that a yogurt culture would work for us and all those little microbes in there help them with digestion i remember talking about that with uh, erica deward farmer girl in the first season of the podcast because she when you she she's a calf raiser Mm -hmm. she's all about taking care of these little baby calves and when they're not feeling well sometimes that's the way she fixes it by feeding them a beer yeah isn't that weird and they're they're but it makes sense it does and you'd think that you're actually harming them, but it's a good thing. Now, would you go out and do that with your dog or cat or pig? <laughs> no, no. no. Um, but for cows, they're different than we are. And I guess that's what makes the world spin around and be sustainable is that we're all different. And so we all can use one thing that another one can't. So this family that you married into mm-hmm. has been doing this for over 100 years. 109 years. Not incredible. That's a that's crazy family history. Mm-hmm. What was it like when they started? When they started out here, I'm I'm a history buff and reading all of the journals that the pioneers came that move here, it's it's heavy in our neighborhood especially. It's a lot of Slovenian mm. names and namesakes here and Mike's grandfather, he immigrated over looking for a better life and that dream and about 5 miles from our farm is the town of Black Diamond, which still is a coal mine, and it was a coal. It was heavy in coal mining back then. Coal mining and timber; those were the the big ticket items. And people would, of course, bring along cows. Everybody had a cow back then because right. they, you know, it's it's family sustainable. And then, oh, then people started to figure out, oh, well, cows make butter, and Seattle's not that far away, and let's start selling our butter to Seattle. And so creameries came along, but in he immigrated here in the early 1900s and I mentioned the dairy was started in 1912 the reason that happened there was a huge explosion in the coal mine and a lot of men died and he didn't want any part of that Mm. and so he purchased 12 cows and the original 80 acres and that was the start of Cranick Dairy so it's kind of interesting and then over time it's just grown over time but you have to evolve You, you can't you can't keep doing things the same way even that we did 10 yeah. years ago. 
So how many generations are, are still alive to see where it's at today? Um, we have 11 nieces and nephews. Um, we don't have any kids of our own. We have four cats. You know, that that's about it. And it's farming's changed a lot. And I kind of, everybody says, oh, it's so sad that we're losing the small farms. And it really is. But you really have to look in the mirror. How are people shopping these days? Mm. We basically have four main chains of that people buy their yeah. food from, you yeah. know, maybe five. And you correlate how many people, how, what percentage of our population gets their groceries from those four main chains versus a farmer's market or a co-op or things. And right. it's pretty much even Steven. So it's going to have to change. It's sad, yes. Mm-hmm. But the neat thing about that, King County government saw that coming. Mm. And so they developed a farmland preservation program. So this farm that we're sitting on today and most in our area are protected. They will always have to be farming mm. food of some sort. Will they be a dairy? Um, who knows? But I'm really hoping that shows like you do and making people more aware of the hard work that we put in and, and what we try to do to pr- make a nice nutritionist ingredient is yeah. helpful. So the city is still getting closer and closer all the time. And and that's the point of the whole preservation thing. So even as the city gets closer to this farmland that we're on here, this will stay farmland. Correct. But does that, I've heard from others that the city coming close, even if the land, the farmland itself is protected, things start to change. Exactly. With development closer and closer. Yeah. There, you know, the, the number one thing that we see here is traffic. You know, everybody wants to move out to the country, and I welcome that, anyone that wants that experience. But you also have to keep in mind, which I think a lot of people miss, is that being in the country comes with following a tractor or smelling things or dust or having a harvesting until the wee hours of the morning. And so it's interesting in Enumclaw is that a lot of people really support the farms, but they don't understand what we do. And so by being open and being open to the public, especially on a lot of social media pages, they'll say, you know, I'll get a lot of questions. Leanne, why, why, why are the cows not out in the field? It's wintertime. Why shouldn't they be? And once I explain what we do and why, then we develop a whole bunch of fans. And it's really nice. It's gotten to the point now I have my Enumclaw posse. And mm. um, they wanted to learn that. And so a lot of times I don't even need to answer the questions. It's yeah. all taken care of. Um, but traffic is huge. That's not going to go away. Um, we actually, actually, the road that you see just just right Out over there, there yeah. that's uh, Highway One, State Highway One Sixty Four, which is a major detour or major route between Auburn and Enumclaw, is closed, and that's the reroute right mm. to our farm. And so to try and run tractors down the road with all those cars that, <laughs> that just want to get home or yeah. wherever they're going in a hurry, it's tough. Yeah, it's frustrating for them and not necessarily very safe for you guys on the track. No, no. And it it got so bad that I'm on the board of King Pierce Farm Bureau. And we have a campaign called My Fork Supports Farms. And it's just a nonpartisan look about, hey, this is what it takes to farm. And so yeah. the the latest video that we did was with a local farmer. His name's Kellen Wallen. Um, mm. he, his family has a dairy farm not too far from here. And about 10 years ago, he was driving his tractor down Highway 164 and got rear-ended by a pickup truck. Um, it flipped the tractor over the guardrail upside down. He was in a ditch. And 
you think about, oh, well, it's just water. No, it's manure. It's diesel. It's yeah. hydraulic fluid. And fortunately, a good Samaritan found him, and he's still alive. So we have a video with Kellen promoting farm safety, and he makes yeah. a good point. He says, hey, if you're driving behind a tractor, you know, we're trying to grow your food, but take a look around, enjoy the scenery, you know, look yeah. at our equipment, see how neat it is. and Don't be in too big of a hurry. Right. Yeah. And farm machinery is expensive, too. It costs us, a lot of it costs as much as a house. And so if a farmer loses that, in the, especially these days with supply chains, it's hard to get that replaced, and then they're yeah. out of income. So there's a lot of a lot of things to that, go along with that. That's scary, though. Mm-hmm. Accidents. They have, our, you know, just trying to move a tractor down the road, and man, it happens all too often. And I think the latest national statistic is about 600 farmers every year die in traffic tractor related accidents and when less than one percent of the population is a farmer and the next generation doesn't want to continue um, we really need to be cognizant of that yeah for sure you also mentioned king pierce Mm -hmm. farm bureau Mm -hmm. you must be connected then with uh, our friend on the podcast rosella Rosella mosby Mosby. yep i i always tell her i say um i farm the proteins and she farms the produce so (laughs) (laughs) yeah she is awesome. So loved uh, that conversation that we had on the podcast last season out there at her farm down in... How, how far is that from here? That's not very far from no, here, No, it's it? only about seven miles. But Crazy. her her soil type, and she's in the Green River Valley, yeah. totally different than we are up here on the Windy Plateau. So back to, before I got sidetracked on so many other important topics, back to kind of the, the family history... Mm-hmm. When do you come into the picture, and what was what was <laughs> what was your background? Did you grow up farming? Oh, I didn't grow up farming, and my my story's kind of different. I grew up near Scapoose, which is just outside of Portland, and mm. I've had horses. My family was raised on three acres. Scapoose is a farm town, a lot like Enumclaw, mm-hmm. um, but we didn't have any farm animals per se. I always wanted to be a veterinarian, and mm. so I made it my goal to graduate college, being a vet. I ended up with a Bachelor from Animal Science in 1993 from Oregon State. And you get a job where you can get a job. Um, After spending four years getting a bachelor's degree, I didn't want to, vet school wasn't for me. Yeah. So I got a job in Seattle working with Land O'Lakes Feed doing formulation, um, Mm -hmm. which is basically feed recipes and pricing. Their office, which was kind of strange, was two blocks from the Space Needle. So here I am talking to farmers with the Space Needle out my window. Cooking for cows, making cow (laughs) recipes by the Space Needle. And chickens and everything else. And my boss was Gail Cambra, and her husband, Wayne, also sold our... um, bull semen because we artificially inseminate our cows to Cranic Dairy and Mm -hmm. they thought that Mike and I should meet and so we met through the bull semen salesman and were married in 1999 so true story I can't make that one up so and it's just kind of our relationship really works we've been married now for 22 years and he he's the production guy and he admits that and I'm I'm the PR person I'm the book person um we make sure all we have a good rapport with our employees and, and developing those relationships that are so important and letting people know what we do and why and doing a good job. I can't let this pass. You mentioned artificial insemination. Mm-hmm. And that issue has been pretty controversial in recent years. 
What are your thoughts on that? Why do you do that? Artificial insemination, just in case people don't know, it's it's um, collecting semen from one bull and you putting it in a cow artificially. People need to understand that when a when a cow and a bull mate, it's not a romantic process. You have a cow that weighs, you know, 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 pounds, and bulls can weigh at least twice that. And so when a bull mates a cow naturally, you can get injured. You know, mm. it's 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 just it's just not something that that's, so it's actually a lot safer and healthier for the cows is it is it is it, they don't have as many leg issues and and whatnot because they're not doing that naturally the other thing bulls are horribly mean mm. and a lot of farmers that's one of the reasons artificial insemination came to the forefront is because too many farmers were getting killed by bulls and it's it's not a particularly pleasing thought to do. They're hard to manage. Um, that was one. And then genetics. You know, you can get bull semen from the prize bull in Europe if you want yeah. and breed your cows. And so yeah. we can improve our herd. We can make our cows more efficient naturally. Um, but I want to make it clear, Dylan, that everybody says, oh, our cows GMO. Mm. And no, they're not. We've created their efficiencies and being able to produce more milk and whatnot naturally just through years and years and years of proper genetic selection connecting the right cows with the right cows yeah it's a bulls right cattle with yeah and little did wayne camber know that probably his his best match was mike and i in his 25 (laughs) years of selling bull semen (laughs) that's pretty good so if i'm not mistaken some of your milk goes to cheese. Um, most of our milk here can end up anywhere. Um, it stays usually within 20 miles of our farm because mm. uh, there are, there's only about a dozen dairies left in the Enumclaw, King County area. and so um, How many did there used to be? Oh, my gosh. In 1950, just on the Enumclaw Plateau, there were over 300. But they each had 5 to 10 cows. So are the number of cows in the valley about the same the number of cows are about the same definitely they're just on different sized farms yeah and it's Mm. how we've grown our size it's you know we started with our home dairy and then the farm that we're on now that farmer wanted to retire his kids didn't want to continue farming and so it was so close we offered to buy it we currently lease four other farms the farmers that own them still live on them but they're not dairy farming anymore for various reasons. Sometimes um, we have one in transition where, you know, the the farmer wanted to retire. His kids aren't quite ready yet to to pursue, to become, you know, the next dairy farmer. We have another one. um, Another farmer had health issues but still wanted to live on his farm. So it's a great transition. It helps us um, grow our herd and feed our cattle and keep it all local. And it helps them because they can get income from their land. So what do you do on the farm every day? Are you, do you work with the cows a lot? I used to work with the cows a lot, and my job has kind of changed. I'm mm. I'm 51 now, and so Mike and I, we kind of sit back and are, let our crew work with the cows every day. Can I do anything they can do? Um, they do it better than me, that's for sure. But yeah. I'm, I, I'm certainly respected when I go out there and say, hey, mm. you know, we need to look at, at this or, you know, we need to check this cow 
and see if she needs, you know, the vet to come out or whatever. Most of what I do anymore, um, Mike and I sit back and make those big decisions. And it takes both of us to do that. It's, it's, it's a lot, you know, when you're thinking about buying a big of a piece of equipment or, yeah. you know, making, adding a couple more employees. I do a lot of PR now. Mm. I'm on a lot of committees. Mm. Um, there aren't a lot of farmers left in our area. And so somebody needs to step up and make that voice so it's mm. not lost. And I just want people to know that what we do is a really good thing. Mm. And it's really cool. Um, and then I do the book work. I write all the checks. That's my pretty signature. <laughs> so, so I know. Mike, so Mike can do a lot of things, but it's got to pass yeah. through you at the end of the day. Well, he he pays the bills, and you know we we double check that. We don't ever really argue. We discuss things. I yeah. wouldn't say we we don't ever fight. We don't ever mm. argue. You're too tired for that. <laughs> so, um, but um, yeah, it's we're on a ton of committees, um, and they all they all relate somehow. Um, we're really focused lately on the youth and you know it, it the, with King Pierce Farm Bureau there's policy I'm on the King County Ag Commission so that's that's policy making and they all want to hear what we have to say but who's gonna be able to do all this work and so yeah. we've really started the last couple of years to help mentor FFA 4-H kids work with our fairs um, both state county and local to make sure that that if if those young people that are in FFA, if they don't continue to be a farmer, that's okay because they have that background and know how hard it is to farm when they get older and may and have their families of their own. What about the farm workers on your farm? Do some of them look toward a future of doing more? Um, I I don't know. I I don't know. <laughs> they see how hard Mike and I work, and they're <laughs> yeah. just like. No, we like going home after our day. <laughs> a lot of our our workers are extremely dedicated, and and many of them would uh, they jump through fire for us. They mm. really would. Um, our longest guy, he's been with us for twenty two years, and they're like family. Um, we pay them well. We treat them well. We try and make their job as easy as possible, making sure they have good equipment to run and, and trucks with air conditioning and, yeah. and, you know, things like that. Um, and give them a schedule so they so they have the time for their families too. Is it dangerous to work on a dairy? You have to be careful. I think anytime you work in a situation where you have animals that you can't predict, it's, it's kind of like being a police officer. You walk up to somebody on the street, you don't know how they're going to act. Mm-hmm. But you can kind of predict and, and read body language. Yeah. Um, I like to tout our safety record. You know, it's, it's, it, our employees are great. They understand safety. They correct each other. But you just have to be careful. And you never know. I mean, things can happen, but... You pay attention to your friends, and that's where we talked about earlier. Farmers talking to other people, you learn, and you learn to make things better. And you work with groups like Farm Bureau and Retro Programs that have classes on prevention and um, to, to just try and ease those things. It's easy to go out and buy you know, the latest tractor with all the bells and whistles that you think are going to prevent all those things. And sometimes they do, um, but those are expensive. And yeah. so you still have to be aware all yeah. the time. Well, things are, are changing with labor. And I know there are groups out there saying, oh, working on a dairy is dangerous and mm-hmm. workers aren't well taken care of and they aren't well paid. And it's become kind of a controversy. And then it became a political thing with the issue of, you know, should there be an exemption for farm workers for overtime or shouldn't there be 
What's it like here on the farm for you guys with those issues? Yeah, dairy farming was mandatory overtime. I can't believe remember the exact date, but it was in July. And we had automatically had to start paying time and a half for anything over 40 hours a week. And it was a stretch to our budget, definitely. We want our guys to have a, a, a good high quality of life, and we respect what they do. Do they make minimum wage? Oh, no. Our starting here, you're at sixteen fifty an hour. You know, and I, I think most of the farms in the state are at that or more. We just yeah. need high quality labor. But you start paying employees more. And that's another reason Mike and I step back too. you need to give them more responsibility and to help them grow and to help keep, keep their mind engaged. So they're yeah. not doing the same thing all the time. And so, you know, we took some of our daily duties off and, and gave it to them. So mm. it's it's worked out well. Um, but boy, you know, for our farm, it added another $150,000 a year that we had yeah. to find. So, and that's tricky with the thing that I keep hearing is the the seasonal issue, like farming has the ebb and flow that mm-hmm. has the busy times and the slower times and granted dairy farming, there's something to do every day, 365 days of the year. But you guys certainly have your busy seasons, right? Correct. And that's what makes it tricky with how people get paid. Right. We do have our busy season and you want to keep those guys around. Um, right now we're, there's some trucks behind me. We're harvesting corn. Mm. And so we need to get it done. You, you have a certain time where that corn is at its prime. And so that puts a higher value on your feed costs. You know, what's our feed worth with this ebb and flow? I really feel for the farmers, like you mentioned, you know, the, the, the farmers that grow produce, you know, where they have their, their, ha- their, farming all summer and then Mm -hmm. come winter time there's not much left to do and the problem with that we can't go to our the 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 stores that buy our food and say oh we need more money to cover labor it Mm. doesn't work that way with farming you can't raise the price of your milk we can't raise the price of our milk our milk price is oh milk price is horribly complicated but it's it starts with the federal level and they put a, a federal milk order price with the CME and it's all on buys and sells and I always tell people figuring out your milk price is just living solely off of what you make off your 401k or your stock plan except you can only invest in one so um, so you have to ride that roller coaster or whatever that investment is ride the roller coaster yeah. and then with farming you know it takes two years before a cow has a calf and and she's able to produce milk on her own. So you have to figure out what that hot stock is going to be two years from now. Yeah. So it's um that's probably why a lot of people aren't in it. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Is there a way to change that? Like to give farmers more control over what they make or be able to say, hey, you want to buy local milk, you know, and you need to pay more for it? Yeah, I, I, wish, that would, I wish that was the case. Dairy Gold is our cooperative in the Pacific Northwest. That's the main one. And there's competition from all over. And a long time ago, it used to be, you know, just within the state of Washington or Oregon. And now it's worldwide. They are selling whole milk powder concentrate to New Zealand and Asia and all over. And so we're competing against Australia for our milk price here. So it's difficult to do. The only way you can... And basically, all of us get the same milk price. Um, organics obviously get a little more, yeah. but they have higher costs too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the only way to make money in dairy and to be profitable is to control your expenses. Mm. And so, you know, figure out what your assets are. And um, that's why farming close for us works. You know, we we can keep everything within three miles instead of all over. Back to this issue of Mm -hmm. like time and a half overtime pay and exemptions and whatnot. Do you think there needs to be more work done? on that I, the legislature kind of did this whole thing this year yeah and there's a lot of people saying yeah this issue isn't finished there's there's some things that are not right about this it i i i definitely agree there's a lot more work that needs to get done i don't have all the answers today but i think there's a lot of groups that do and the problem there's a lot of talking but not a lot of listening mm-hmm. and is there a way to compromise in the middle absolutely um and just like today, there's a lot of bad information that's going on from from one side, you know, or the other. And so the general public gets confused. Yeah. But yeah, look what's happening with vaccines and right? COVID and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, it, and it's uh, it's sad that that's happened because the people that are doing all the work and the, and the farmers and their employees, they're not getting any help. But... You know, it's it's a moving target, and things. You know, now we now employees are getting um, long-term care taken out of their check, mm. and so that comes out of their side, their cost of living. So yeah, you know, it's um, yeah. We always need to talk about that. I. It's sad that it hasn't been talked about in a constructive manner for a long time, but I always think it needs to be talked about, always. So. Well, you say you and your husband, Mike, get along really well, never fight, (laughs) all this stuff. Such a great match. But dairy farming isn't easy. And you talk about, you know, a lot of work Mm -hmm. and tired all the time. Mm -hmm. And also we were just, you know, talking about prices. Prices have been low. And Mm -hmm. I know a lot of farms have even gone out of business in Washington because they couldn't survive with the low prices over the last few years. Mm Mm-hmm. How's that been for, for you guys? I mean, have there been some times in the past where it's like, I'm not sure if we're going to make it? We never have times where we're sure we're not going to make it. Um, like I said, you know, we, we're always thinking outside the box. And he, I'm, more, I'm more like the typical farmer, you know, where I live in the now, and he's looking five years down the road, so he knows our next move. But what's really sad is when we have – other farmers come and and it's happened more than a couple times they'll sit in our living room and they'll say i just don't know what i'm gonna do and it's and it's it's kind of more of a counseling Mm. um situation like that we look at ways you know do we still need to keep doing this do we need to cut back um and then you have to look at okay we just bought our hay last week hay right now is horribly hard to find with the drought especially and so, you know, even though we're paying more, there's another farmer that's benefiting that. And so agriculture's I always say agriculture is like this big wagon wheel. And so you take one spoke out and, or, or two, and you might be okay. But any more than that, it's going to fall apart. So it's kind of like I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... Well, it's, that's, that's how economies work, right? right? It's the agricultural economy. Yeah. But, you know, like I said earlier, as a, to be a successful farmer, you have to have patience and a sense of humor. And as far as the relationship that Mike and I have, um, my sense of humor side of it, I, 
everybody says, do you guys ever argue? And I said, no, because if we get divorced, I'm going to give my half of the farm back to him. So, <laughs> so, and nobody wants that. So that's kind of my sense of humor. And then he'd have to do all the work himself. Exactly. He'd have to write his own checks. So, <laughs> so yeah. Well, you're so close to Seattle here, closer than most dairy farms in the state. So you must get people from the city around here sometimes. We've, people checking out the farm, talking about it, asking questions. We we have all that. Um, we don't do a lot of tours. I want to do that in the future. But we've had some interesting opportunities here. We had the Seahawks come to our farm with a blitz. No way. Yeah. And that was, um, they. it's a program called Fuel Up to Play 60. And it's a partnership that the NFL has with um dairy councils the national Mm -hmm. dairy council which is the nutrition side and so they wanted to link the two so blitz came here and um he right here where we're at right here where we're at just right behind me the the the, (laughs) our girls were out there i call our cows the girls and he was feeding them pop tarts um he rode around with mike in the tractor so yeah it was it was so much fun to to do that um but it's I, i i always we get a lot of people that assume that they think they know what goes on on a dairy farm a lot of that and Mm -hmm. i don't want people to get their farming knowledge from the university of youtube Mm. um you know you can get a degree in 15 minutes and so um (laughs) which is why i kind of rely a lot on social media the other interesting thing we do is we I get a lot of press from our manure, which is strange. You'd mm. think it would be the milk, um, but yeah. we compost all of our manure solids, and we mm. sell that as Scarecrow's Pride to gardeners all across the Pacific Northwest mm. and have partnered with our breweries in some events. In fact, um, we're Elysian Brewing is our largest spent grain provider, and they're having mm-hmm. a great pumpkin beer festival, so... One of the things that we do, we have a way off, and the spent grain that Elysian provides helps make Scarecrow's Pie compost that grows pumpkins with a lot of different pumpkin growers. And we'll take the few of the heavy ones, and the following weekend, we'll, Elysian will take those, fill two of them with about four kegs of beer each, and tap them at Seattle Center for the Great wow. Pumpkin Beer Festival. So, um, of course, I'm at the festival there. They want to show that connection. I think we're yeah. probably the only beer festival in the world that has uh, compost there. Yeah. Um, but we show that connection, and I'm the dairy farmer in the orange tutu, and, and it's great. So, um, And the other cool thing about that, Dylan, is that it's raised over $500,000 for charity. Wow. But so it's it get, gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Um, yeah. The last, um, this year, it's the Vera Project, which is an arts project for mm people but prior to that it was uh, Fred Hutch cancer research and mm. so being a cancer survivor myself mm. and to be able to pay it forward like that oh wow it was just it was kind of, it it still blows my mind that we were able yeah. to do that so when did you have cancer I had I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2011 and um, I'm 41 years old the type of Hodgkin's I had was something that commonly well 70 percent of it occurs in men under the age of 25 Hmm. so it but it's also the highest cancer that's curable and so um you know when you're a farmer and it's a life changer and you got to take care of it 
And you can't just take a month off very easily or months or, you know, go through rounds of you probably had to do chemo and all that. Oh, yeah. I had to do all that. And, you know, we found out in November and people might think it's bad to farm near Seattle. I think it's great. Um, Mm. Seattle has the best doctors anywhere. I had a top-notch team, but it was uh, 12 treatments of chemo that um, we had to go in every other week for nine months. And you pretty much put the farm on hold. Mm. You go into Seattle and and you sit there and, you know, you you take your infusions for eight hours. And Mike, bless his heart, he went with me every time. Mm. And I was out, but here's Mike. You know, Mike's always taking notes on stuff. And he, yeah. he has, if you look at Mike, he has note cards and they're folded up like a book. And those are his ideas. And we put everything on hold. The guys all knew I was sick. They were taking care of the farm, which goes back to, you know, our employees are like family. They mm. knew what was going on. And, um, but boy, when I was done, um, Mike put, he put the gas pedal on all his ideas and, the thing that it gave me, too, is that everybody says, oh, what did you learn from being sick for so long? Yeah. And I always tell people, I learned to never have a bad day. Mm. So I have days that are not as good as others. Um, I have days that are so-so. Um, but if you think you're having a bad day, um, go go visit an infusion center or somebody mm. that's in ICU. They're they're having a, having a bad day. Um, but you learn from that. So it was kind of a... So perspective. Exactly. Yeah. And then I also learned too, I'm just like, man, you know, let's get, let's get on with life, girlfriend. So, (laughs) so that's kind of where, it's kind of where the Leanne, the PR person came out too. Yeah. So. Take the bull by the horns. Go for it. Yeah. But not, uh, hopefully it's a nice one. Oh yeah. (laughs) I say that figuratively. I have all these figurative (laughs) sayings that are based on farming talk. Right. I don't even think about it. (laughs) So it's easy to do. It's easy to do. Was was that the hardest time on the farm? Um, It was one of the hardest times. It was um, Mike's mom had just passed away Mm -hmm. and she was, his dad passed away in 2007 and, and we knew it was coming, but she passed away October 31st and I knew I was sick. Um, and then the day after her funeral, um, I went in for my biopsy and found out I had cancer. So it was just like this. It was just like, man, you know, what more? One, two punch. Exactly. And you don't know it's coming. Um, you always keep prepared, you know, mentally like, okay, if something happens, this is what we're going to do. And so that helps, but it never really prepares you for the emotional side of it. But yeah. we had a lot of support from our farming community, our community in general, our friends, our employees, their families. You know, it's um, it was incredible. And so we've been kind of making a point to pay that back ever since. So you're cancer-free? Cancer-free. You beat it. That's right. I love it. With a heavy stick. So Awesome. <laughs> It's a heavy stick. I'm all for people beating cancer <laughs> as hard as they can because that, it deserves it. it that's right. <laughs> that's right. It's an awful, awful thing. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for having me out here. This well, is thanks such for a, coming. a beautiful spot to farm. I mean, we have Mount Baker where I grew up, but Mount Rainier. Right. Sorry, all you Mount Baker fans, <laughs> but that takes it to the next level. And having it just looking, watching over your farm here all the time, that's so awesome. It I mean, is you awesome. just are surrounded by an incredible landscape. It, it's gorgeous here. And, you know, 
our area has some of the most productive soils in the world right here. And so, you know, making sure that you are knowledgeable of your rural area and protecting your soils and respecting your farmers, yeah, keep tabs on that. So we're trying, we're trying. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thanks for coming, Dylan. I appreciate it. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food.